Hello and welcome to the third series of the Igniting Change podcast. It's a different and more challenging world in which we find ourselves this time around, so we wanted to reflect the challenges of just surviving in the COVID-19 era and what the Black Lives Matter movement has meant to some of our First Nations people. Igniting Change hasn't stopped working to make this period easier for those doing it tough, nor will it. Yes, we're all in this together, but for some, making it to the other side is just the start of the battle. Our guest today is Anne Mitchell. Anne is a manager at Concern Australia. Hi, Anne. Hi, Celia. How are you today? I'm really good, thank you. Very happy to have you on the Igniting Change podcast, I must say. For the people who aren't aware, what does Concern Australia do? So Concern Australia works with children and young people and has many prevention and intervention and crisis programs. So handbrake turn, accommodation for young people who are youth justice and child protection, schools program, and the homelessness program is the program that I manage and that's called Steps Outreach Service. What impact has COVID-19 had on that homeless situation? Well, normally for us, we do street outreach in the city at night time and then in the daytime we'll do outreach to wherever our young people are. So because of COVID, we're not doing street outreach at the moment because we don't want people to come into the city. We don't want to gather people in a group, obviously. So we're visiting people one-on-one instead. So currently, anybody who was rough sleeping has been offered a hotel. And there are 2,000 people currently housed in hotels in uh, Melbourne and Greater Melbourne. But in terms of that, which was a very good crisis measure, it's not a long-term measure. So for our young people, they're getting sick of living in hotels. Some of them have been evicted from hotels and are now in their third or fourth hotel. Sometimes it has exacerbated their mental health because even though they can self-isolate in a hotel, they also feel lonely and isolated. Mm. So that exacerbates their mental health. Quite a lot of people that I've spoken to have sort of embraced the concept of the homeless in hotels and particularly during winter, a lot of people said to me, oh, you know, isn't it great that they're being put up in hotels that they'll be safe and they'll be warm. What is it about staying in hotels that homeless people themselves haven't liked? So some of them have little or no cooking facilities. One of my young people, her hotel at the moment only has a kettle. So if she receives food parcels, she's been trying to just heat things up by standing them in hot water, things like that. Because she's in the city, she's not close to a good supermarket. So if she does receive a food voucher, there's only sort of the express supermarkets, which are a bit dearer and have less, obviously less stock. Have there been more young people becoming homeless as a result of COVID? Well, I don't know if we can say that at this stage, Celia. I think it's too short a time, but Certainly homelessness overall will increase because of COVID, especially on the back of the bushfires. So the bushfires, you've got more people already needing emergency accommodation. That tends to push homeless people down out of the bottom of the crisis accommodation line when a weather crisis like that happens. And I guess the main thing that I'm telling you about the hotels is, yes, we applaud the government for bringing that in. They have now extended it to April, but everybody knows it's not a long-term solution. So people are getting a bit antsy about it. They're getting a bit sick of it. The government, the state government, is about to head lease 1,100 rental properties. But I guess the concern then is that when job seeker or disability payment or whatever payment they're on goes down again after COVID, 
will they be able to continue to afford those head leased properties? So we, along with the peak bodies such as Council to Homeless Persons, would like to see more social housing and some creative models because one size does not fit all. Homeless people are not a homogenous group of people. They're each individuals with individual needs. So we would like to see creative models like youth foyers, just new things, even the tiny houses. There's a little group of tiny houses in Footscray, things like that. What we would like to see at a systemic level at the moment is probably that the government puts a lot of money into building social housing. Council to Homeless Persons is saying we need 30,000 new houses and that would stimulate the economy because on each building site you'd have 40 trades working. That would have that double effect. So that would be one solution. What are some of the main reasons that you've encountered that young people are homeless? The young people that we have met have become homeless because they couldn't stand to live at home. They couldn't stand the pain, the trauma. They probably had experienced neglect, sexual, verbal, physical violence. A lot of them have also come from out-of-home care, which means that they were removed from their homes by child protection because of some of those issues. So they were not allowed to stay at home because of those issues, which gives them such a feeling of grief and loss and feeling unwanted. So they're the young people we work with. They're the complex young people that we work with. They come from trauma-based backgrounds. And our job then is to make them feel cared for, to make them feel safe, and just to show them that we're there with them for the long term. And so I guess the point of difference for STEPS is we work with young people up to 25, but after that, they can still come back and say, I'm about to become homeless again, can you help me? Or I just had a new baby, come and visit my new baby, come and have my celebrations with me. So where my own children in a more middle-class background would have a soft place to fall, which is coming back home or ringing me up and asking me for help, the young people we work with do not have that soft place to fall. And that's what we try and provide for them. And we do that by being trustworthy and reliable and just really showing that we believe in them and we have hope for them until they have hope for themselves. That's really heartbreaking, Anne. And I I don't think that in society in general that there is the level of compassion and empathy for these young people that really we should have. And it's a problem because when it's discussed in the media or whatever, it's just a problem that needs to be swept under the carpet or, or dealt with without looking at what you've just said, that these are young people who have escaped trauma, who have, you know, no one behind them to help them and trust in. It's really heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. I've been doing this for over 20 years now. And the reason I'm still there is because we see that successes. So over 90% of the young people we've supported are no longer homeless. They're making some positive changes in their lives, if not many positive changes in their lives. That's fantastic. And just the privilege of having these young people who don't trust adults easily wanting to come up to us in the city pre-COVID and give us a hug and say hello. Obviously, we can't hug anymore. But <laughs> no, no, we can't even shake hands. <laughs> we can't even shake hands. And that would be a normal way of greeting a homeless person would be to either shake hands with them or if you knew them better, you would give them a hug. There seems to be also a little bit of a, a suggestion that perhaps some people would prefer to be homeless rather than to be living in other circumstances. Do you encounter that very much or is that just another urban myth that we've been fed? I do encounter it sometimes with older people. When I said everybody who was sleeping rough in the city was offered a hotel, some people did not take up the offer. Mm. And that mainly was older people with mental health problems who couldn't stand staying within four walls or have a place they've always lived under the bridge, under the freeway, and they just want to stay there. And so they, they need more of a mental health response. 
but mostly with our young people, they need a housing response. So they need, you know, in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they need to have the survival stuff addressed first. So have they got food, shelter, warmth, clothing, and then they can start to make positive choices. But until they've got that, they're often in survival mode. So most young people who are homeless are not sleeping rough, by the way. A lot of them are couch surfing or staying in various places. But if you're sleeping rough, it's scary. Mm. You know, it's cold, it's scary. And there are very scary people around. There are a lot of predators around looking for young people. So we need to keep those people safe. And that's our job is to keep turning up and turning up and turning up and helping them to meet their goals and to develop dreams to become mm. future focused. To, so to get out of that survival day to day, what am I going to do to survive today? Which tends to be that fight or flight or freeze kind yes. of response yeah. to things mm. who are more considered, okay, now I feel safe. I have long-term stable housing. I have my own place that I can set up, which is not a hotel. I have my own place I can set up. I've put pictures on the walls. I've got some household goods with the help of steps. And now I can start to think, what do I want to do next with my life? Yeah. And it would seem that to do all this work that you would need a small army. How many people are joining you on this road? Uh, yep. So STEPS, this is our 35th year. Of, so what STEPS? So we're called STEPS Outreach Service. Traditionally, we're called STEPS because we have sat on the steps of Flinders Street Station oh, at night yes, time. Yes. And got to know young homeless people. And traditionally, the steps of Flinders Street Station were like young people's lounge room. So they would congregate there and that would be a really good place for us to meet them. Now we do go there, but we also wander around the area a bit. And so there's just myself as the manager. I have a youth worker and then we just have a small team of volunteers. So we are a very small service. And so we don't do the big outputs like we don't see a thousand people a year, but we're outcomes based. So we see those small changes in our young people and we celebrate them and we make a difference one person at a time. So where some of our young people have fallen through the cracks and the other services have closed the doors and said they're too hard, they're our young people. And what drew you to this sort of work? Uh, well, I was previously a primary school teacher and a welfare coordinator at a school. And I personally had a dysfunctional childhood. So I guess that helps if you've worked through your stuff. Certainly helps you to be empathic and just to say, well, I get it, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. And I totally get it. So there was that. And also out of my Christianity, so Concern is a Christian organisation. And I just believe that that's what we're called to do is go and sit in the gutter with people and get to know them. Go visit people in prison, clothe them if they're not clothed. That's right. How best can people support you? Uh, we always need financial help. We have a shoestring budget. We have a very, very small budget, but we're still here after 35 years. We don't get government funding and we choose not to get government funding for STEPS. Concern Australia has other programs that do get government funding, but for STEPS, because we want the flexibility. So we don't want to say to young people, you're 18 now, we can't work with you anymore. Or you've had your 12 episodes of care, we can't see you again. It's research-based. It's the thing that makes a difference, that long-term support with a significant other who believes in you and that you can trust and rely on. So financial support always Igniting Change has been amazing. Developing a partnership with Igniting Change has made such a difference to us in terms of empowering us to help our young people more. So this year with COVID, one of the things I've been amazed about is the generosity of others. Igniting Change has referred us to Caulfield Grammar for care packs, Lauriston Girls School for groceries, donations of Lint Easter eggs that we gave out, food vouchers. They've just 
been incredible and I don't know what we'd do without them, honestly. But you know the main thing that I like about Igniting Change? The personal support. So when I've got to know them and when I've spoken to someone on the phone, Haley or Jade or one of those people on the phone, they ask me how I am. And that's really nice. I love that. And, and they remember the young people I may have spoken about and they say, how is that young person now? Yeah. And so I do really appreciate them. Oh, that's fantastic, Anne. What do the young people say when they get these gifts of groceries or survival packs? What's their response? So one of our young people who was staying in a hotel was scared to go out because of COVID. So she didn't want to go to the supermarket. She thought she'd get sick. And so when we turned up with groceries and some meals, she said, well, I haven't eaten since lunchtime yesterday. Mm. So for her, that I mean, that's a massive difference. You know, if, you, if you're hungry or lonely, you know, you're not going to feel well anyway, regardless of your mental health. So having those donations has helped them to feel nurtured, to feel cared for. We also have a lot of families we support and our families, one of them, her partner had just lost his job. She has two children. And she said, oh, thank you so much for the groceries. That's made such a difference for us because we're struggling financially. And I can't commend you enough for the work that you're doing. It's extraordinary and you are making a huge difference in so many people's lives. I wish you all the very best with your work and I'm very keen to keep up with you and find out about your successes. And thank you so much for joining us today on the Igniting Change podcast. Thank you very much. That's it for this Igniting Change podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to press subscribe to ensure you don't miss future episodes. Thanks for listening. And remember, see the person, not the label.